Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is Diane Roche. Diane is a physician's assistant and recently completed a locum tenens assignment in a high-security prison. Thanks for joining us, Diane. My pleasure. Today's topic is healthcare behind bars. So what prompted you to look into doing a locum tenens contract, and why did you select a high-security prison? Well, I have been working in traditional family medicine and emergency medicine for many years, and when you stay in the same specialty, things start to feel the same. And I really wanted to bump up my learning curve. I wanted to force myself to learn more. I also had several colleagues that did mission trips and locum tenens jobs, and they came back with wonderful stories about how this forced learning really was an advantage. So I reasoned that if I would put myself in a situation that was unique and I had to stretch outside of my comfort zone, there'd be an opportunity there. In addition to that, if I worked for those that were different than me or those that were the neediest of of all, it would help me feel like I was really making a difference. I looked into locum tenens and I was offered a job in Seward, Alaska. It was a three-month assignment in a maximum security prison and uh, off I went. What were some of the biggest challenges you experienced? Well, the biggest challenge had to be the electronic health record. The software was called TechCare. It's used by the Department of Corrections in Alaska, but it's also used by DOC in a lot of states throughout the U.S. And in working with a population of inmates, it was unique because um, most of these inmates were incarcerated for life. So we needed a lifetime record. And there are a unique set of challenges that come with that population. Most of them had absolutely no healthcare history at all, which means no record of vaccinations. And many of them had no vaccinations, no annual medical checkups, no previous tests as baseline. And in addition to that, there was a tremendous amount of infectious disease and mental health. And those are things that take a lot of follow-up care, a lot of titration of medications. So there's frequent appointments. The EHR that we used was completely different than an employee health record of a non-incarcerated individual. And it just, it it had a lot of um, quirky things about it. An example is we had about a hundred inmates that tested positive for hep C. And treatment of chronic hep C takes a long time, about nine to 12 months from beginning to end. And it has to be closely monitored. We draw blood work weekly or every other week during hep C. And we had to develop spreadsheets so that we could track the testing, the blood work, the administration of medications, et cetera, um, all based on the genotype of the hep C infection. And the spreadsheet did not talk to the tech care EHR. So there was a lot of going back and forth just to make sure that everybody was getting the right medication and the proper care. It just made tracking difficult. We also had tuberculosis in the prison where I work. And, you know, I thought that was eradicated years ago, but apparently still running rampant in rural areas. In unvaccinated communities, you can't assume that somebody 
has had a TB vaccination, and that takes at least a year to treat from beginning to end with a lot of changes in medications. So that was very difficult to monitor because everything had to be put in EHR individually. Now, when it came to mental health diseases like schizophrenia, bipolar, paranoia, addiction, that requires a lot of medication titration. It's not just prescribing a dose and that's the dose they're on forever. We start with a low dose, it's titrated, weekly mental health checkups to make sure that there's no negative side effects or adverse reactions. All of those specific problems made it very challenging to treat 500 people, 500 patients. Did the prison leverage any telehealth to help with the behavioral health treatments? Yes, they did. Because it's in such a a remote area, it's difficult to attract medical professionals. So there were several mental health specialists living in Anchorage, and we did telehealth calls. We, for three or four hours in a row, they'd you know be in Anchorage on the phone, and we'd set up a video on one of the exam rooms, and we'd bring patients in one at a time to have a, a one-on-one face-to-face conversation with the mental health professionals. Did any other technologies assist I know you mentioned that it's hard to get specialists in such a remote area. So how did technology help bridge that gap of staffing shortages? We did use telehealth for things like dental issues, believe it or not. We had a local dentist and he would come every other week, but we would take pictures of abscesses, periapical abscesses. We would take pictures of dermatology issues and send those to a dermatologist. Um, We didn't do much with the optometrist who came every month because it was not possible to manage eye issues remotely through telehealth. You know, we also used um, pharmacies. We didn't have a system that connected with pharmacies. There was one DOC pharmacy in the state of Alaska, and they were responsible for dispersing everything. So we had to wait two or three days sometimes to get a medication, but we did use technology to do that. And sometimes medications were flown in or came in by boat. If you could go back today right now and make one change, one change that would have the biggest impact to how healthcare is provided, both at that high security prison and just healthcare behind bars everywhere, what change would you make? It would have to be a technology change. It would have to be an electronic health record that would talk to the pharmacy, that would be interactive with the local hospitals that would allow us to get documents from other sources. We couldn't even get a document from another prison that an inmate was in. That had to be manually faxed in, faxed to us, and then scanned into their record. The EHR, the the technology makes it very possible to manage a large group of patients like this or almost impossible to the point that there's a lot of human error, which means these patients' lives are at risk. So you're saying the EHR really does make or break the quality of care that you can provide to patients? Oh, absolutely. I know you've used several different kinds of EHRs. Do you have a preference? Which one is the best out there? Well, I can tell you, I've worked with um, small EHRs. I've worked with um, private EHRs. And my favorite is Epic. A lot of the hospitals use Epic. I work for a private healthcare company right now, privately owned. 
and they were able to adapt our private system so that we do have a way to link in with Epic at the local hospitals to get recent hospital records. But I think that's not common enough. Um, We have to start sharing information because as a provider, you know, I do primary care, but so much of my work is done by referring people to specialists. And if our computers don't talk to each other, then I don't know all of the information that I need to know from all the specialists that a patient is going to. So I'm working with half the information. And so much of the time, patients, they don't bring copies of their notes from specialists to me. You know, they leave it up to me to find that, to get it. And it's just another hurdle that I have to overcome. And it it adds more wait time to treatment. So we've got to figure out how to share this very personal data amongst everybody that's involved in healthcare for a patient. Interoperability is a huge topic in healthcare right now. And I know Epic, like you said, it's your favorite EHR. They're doing everything they can. There's care everywhere. There's Community Connect, especially for those rural areas, those smaller practices that can't necessarily afford a larger license that still allows them to leverage Epic and get that information they need. So, so maybe the maybe that what's lacking is just the knowledge that it is available and it can be affordable and the integration of it. And it is, I'll say, fairly newer within the last five or 10 years. So there's still a curve of people learning about it. It takes time to implement. It takes time to work out bugs. um, And the software is constantly changing. So it's hard to stay abreast of every single functionality out there. But back to your prison experience, would you do it again? Would you recommend other people do a locum tenens period? And then would you recommend they do it at something like a high security prison? Yes, I would. The reason I would recommend it is I think just from a human perspective, it's wise for all of us to step out of our comfort zone and try something different. It's wise for us to interact with people that are very unlike ourselves. It's wise for us to to put ourselves in a situation where we're forced to learn something different, whether it be a new culture or whether it be a different type of treatment or whether it be like a medicinal, you know, there's a lot of spirituality in Alaska and there's medicine men and there's tribal um, cultural treatment plans. And I think if we expose ourselves to the wide variety of possibilities, I think that makes us all more open to differences. And I think it's, you know, it's a type of learning that you really can't get from a book. You have to be there. You have to immerse yourself into the culture and the society. And the only way to do that is is to be there. So I I highly recommend it. And yes, I would definitely do it again. I would be more prepared this, this next time. I just feel like we all have something to offer the world that's unusual or maybe something that we didn't expect, but it, it feels really good to make that offering. Is there anything about the experience as a whole that you want people to know or that you'd like to share, maybe that surprised you that we haven't yet discussed? Yes. Opportunities like this are not for the faint of heart. It is not right for someone who cannot turn on a dime. 
I remember during COVID working for a small privately held company, we could change our procedure overnight. And we were seeing people in their cars. We were going out in the parking lot. We changed the processes completely. And I love that because we could instantly meet the need. We're a big corporation. They have to go through, you know, 10 layers to make a change in policy or procedure. Well, when you go to a different work environment, you have to be very pliable, flexible, willing to do something differently than you used to. And you have to be able to try different things and hear about different ways and not think that you know everything and you know the right way to do things because there are a hundred right ways. I really think if we can keep our minds open to different ways around the world that medical care is provided, I think we're all gonna benefit. You know, my, my big takeaway is be flexible, be open, try different things, new things. Don't think we know it all because we don't. That would be my my advice for someone who's considering a locum's position or unique job with a prison. Thank you so much for sharing your insight around healthcare behind bars. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.